right, well, good. Well, why don't we get started? Let's do like the Cliff Notes version of of your story just to give everybody a little bit of, of a better understanding who may have not seen the previous episode. Give everybody a little bit of understanding uh, just your roots, where you came from, and how you even got into entrepreneurship. So I'm originally from Mexico. I was born into an orphanage. I have 68 siblings. Uh, there's uh, 200 other kids that live with us. Um, our caregivers adopted 60 kids and there's eight of us biological. So um, it's kind of an interesting thing that I like to mention sometimes because, you know, I'm one of their kids, but we actually suffered the most because of, um, they were afraid of losing other kids if they paid too much attention to us. Wow. So we were not orphans, the eight of us, but we had a rougher uh, life. Yeah. And so I grew up there and then I was always looking for a way to get out of there to, you know, find something that would propel me to the next level. And that's when I discovered basketball. And yes, I'm five foot two. Yeah, these are these are the things. Like you're five <laughs> foot two and you're great at basketball. Yes. It's awesome. Yes. And so um when I graduated high school, I got recruited to play basketball for the Mexican national team in Mexico City and we waited for about three months. Uh, then I broke my collarbone playing football with my brothers and I couldn't go. We got a call and I couldn't go. And my father told me my dreams were over. Uh, well, all that propelled me to coming to the US on a bus, which we stopped by Oklahoma. Okay, by the there you go. And um, there was a basketball court that asked us for a picnic and there happened to be the coach of the University of Charleston. She saw me play and she told my caregiver that she wanted me to give me a scholarship to come to the United States, and that's how I came here. Uh, there's more to that story, but um, went to college. I graduated, couldn't find a job mm. in interior design in West Virginia. I became homeless, and then um, after like three months in the winter, living in the woods, and you know, somebody, yeah, you weren't you weren't going back to Mexico. No, yeah, no, you're like I'm out, right? And somebody entered me into a salsa contest, and I won by unanimous vote. This was for the entire state of West Virginia at a capital market. And after I won that, I, I had an aha moment. You know, maybe this is something that I should explore. And, and the thing is, fresh, fresh salsa wasn't a thing back then. Mm. So it was hard for people to understand unless they try the product. And so I started the company, somebody gifted me 800 bucks and I grew it. Our main uh, research source was Google. And I just really started grassrooting everything. Wow. And then it just grew and grew and I so, had so many rejections from supermarkets and finally had a huge breakthrough and just goes on and on. That's amazing. So day one, you starting a company, you're already an award-winning salsa yes. company. Yes. That's, that's super cool, by the way. Thank just you. to have that on day one. Um, <clears throat> so talk to me a little bit about uh, like who is this person that entered you into the contest? So that's a really good question. And when I was in college, I used to make this pico de gallo de salsa. And my friends had me bring it to told my teachers and my teachers have me bring it to class because it was so good. So it was popularized. So when I graduated college, somebody from the school entered me into the salsa contest. I had no idea. I got a call finally and they said, you're having this competition. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> And it was sort of uh, like a blessing in disguise after being homeless. Yeah. And having that experience of winning the contest and all the people around me asking me, where can we buy this product? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm homeless. Yeah, how, you know? it's a, that's amazing. So how many people, how many other entrants, like uh, entries were in the contest? There are 15 other people. Wow. And they were all cooked salsas, like the Tostito salsa. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And yours was fresh? Yes. Wow. Like so a pico de gallo. Okay. Yes. That's amazing. So <clears throat> you have this epiphany moment of uh, you can start a company. So talk to us a little bit about like um, what that actually means. Because one of the things, the theme that I've seen with you is you happen to get these amazing calls. 
it's like it's almost every time you're gonna hear it throughout the rest of this thing it's like at any moment it's like uh yeah and then i got this call and it and it was like this amazing thing happened like oh i got this call like i'm gonna go uh you know, I'm going to go play for the Mexican national team. Oh, I got this call that I was supposed to be, <laughs> I was supposed to, I, I, somebody entered me into this contest and I just decided to go and I just happened to win. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's a theme and I'm sure I will, we should like to put a counter on, you know, how many times she got that. <laughs> she gets the phone calls. It's the best. Um, but yeah, so, so talk to me a little bit about like how the idea evolved and and what were some of the first moves you made like uh, and how long right after you win the contest do you decide I'm, i can do this as a company so when i won the contest that's when i had my aha moment and i decided that i was going to do some research and i got online and i researched the pros and cons and i said to myself if I, if i have more cons than pros i'm not going to start this company and i, I had slightly more pros and I decided I'm just going to go for it. All right. What was the pro that you remember most and what was the con that you remember most? The pro, even though it was tough to decide back then, is that there was really nothing like it out there. And I didn't even know that I was going to get a lot of market resistance because it was a niche product. It was a new product that sometimes markets will fight, you know, mm -hmm. back. But in my mind, it was more like I just need to get people to try the salsa. And that's what happened at the contest. People tried it, loved it, they want to buy it. And that was just the beginning. I think that was the, the biggest pro for me. Okay, what was the biggest con? The biggest con, I don't know anything about business. <laughs> I went to college, I took one business class, Business 101, I don't know anything about business. Yeah. So how did you go figure it out? What did you do? Google. Yeah? Yes. All right, so just Google or YouTube too? Well, back then, I don't, I, don't <laughs> remember, I don't remember if YouTube was back then. You know, I, I, tr I reached out to the Small Business Administration back then. You did, okay. And they couldn't help me. Initially, I, I, I was helping them. They were learning from me. Oh, can you tell us more? I'm like, I'm not here for that. I just need to grow. I need to know, have some resources. And it was, it was tough even for them because the type of product that I was, the type of company that I was building, there was nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah, so it's. I mean, it's it a, challenging. it's it's a food and manufacturing, right? Uh, and and sort of retail distribution. Right. So, um, talk to me about how the business was really formed and what were some of the first, what were some of the first sales like? First sales were the people at the contest and the capital market. They asked me to have their products, so that was my very first store. And I remember selling the product for like five bucks a pint mm -hmm. to yeah. friends and people. That was the beginning. And I was always, by the way, the comment that you were talking about earlier about, yeah, and this person called me and that yeah. is because I have this mindset of believing that there's always something better out there, that something's going to happen for me. Wow. Even though I don't know what it is, I don't want to put the words down because I know that if I, I, I believe that there's something bigger that I can handle, I'm okay to welcome that. And it could be something bigger than what I even think mm. to manifest that. And that's why these things happen and continue to happen throughout my life. It's a, that's amazing. That's like you're a quantum creator or something. You're like, we all, you know, we're all quantum yeah. creators. Yeah, that's amazing. Absolutely. I think, I think um, <clears throat> we had a conversation a couple days ago uh, uh, with Amy Downs. And it's there, one of the things that's really powerful is this idea that um, what you imagine, right, your future looking like, you may not have the details and you may not be sort of attached to the outcome, but what you can do is see pieces of it and you can bring them into your today, Yes. right? And that's one of the things that I think is really amazing about entrepreneurship yes. is you, you have to have some vision and it isn't just vision like, I'm gonna build a great company. <clears throat> there's a purpose, there's a meaning. Those are easier to attach to because you're in pursuit of something that you're not 100% you, sure what the outcome is. Right. Absolutely. And that's the thing that I think is really interesting about your story is these outcomes that happen are just huge. You know, know what I mean? So, so, so small beginnings, right? You're, you're selling, you know, for five bucks a pint, right? What's the evolution from sort of, uh, I'm at the, I'm at the market to like, okay, um, I'm actually going to do a business. What are the, what are some of the first things that you started to do? The first thing that I realized was that I couldn't continue to buy the, Costa goods like the tomatoes, onions, garlic, uh, garlic, cilantro, jalapenos directly from Kroger. 
I realized, I found out that you could go wholesale. But in order to do that, you had to buy a little bit more quantity. Mm -hmm. So there's some different steps there. Um, and again, that belief of, you know, that I used to have a big stack of $1 and $5 bills and I would like, woohoo, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> and even though it was just ones and fives and one of my friends came into the room one day, he's like, what are you doing? You're crazy. You should get a job. You're not going anywhere with this. But it's just that, you know, mentality. I mean, starting out, I had to design my own labels, uh, do my own website, cut my own labels, put them on containers. Um, it was really a slow start up until um, a couple other mom and pop stores wanted it in town. One mm -hmm. was a fish market, the other one was a meat company, uh, a retail. But how'd they discover you? Um, I think I was calling um, local stores, but I got a lot of rejections. And I think the sell point was, hey, I want the contest at the capital market. You want to try these products? But a lot of, you know, the biggest challenge that I had was I remember writing this list of uh, stores to call from the smallest to the largest. And it was, there was a couple hundred. And the very first uh, 90 that I remember checking off said, no, we don't want your products. What? Fresh salsa? What is it? And at that point, I thought that um, I thought a little bit about giving up, but I just mm. believed that I had something. And I put the list down and I called uh, other ready to eat products and, you know, manufacturers in the area. And I asked them, you know, how do you get into the stores? And they're like, they're not going to listen to you. It took us five years to get this product in. And all these things were happening. But I decided, you know what? This is scary. I'd never picked up the phone like I did and call people, it was so, I, I was so scared. And I decided that uh, the next day to take that list and turn it upside down. And now in the top of the list was the Whole Foods Market. In my mind was the largest organic retail in the United States. Yeah. So, so your list is like, you know, mom and pop shop, one, two, three, right. and then all, all the way down. And you yeah. had Whole Foods down there, yes. sort of like the magical They 100. were the last. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then you flipped the script. I flipped you, the script and I was like, I hope they don't answer. <laughs> I'm going to so call. So you them. found a phone number and you called? Yes. Okay, wow. So I called this number. They didn't answer. And I was like, hey, my name is Maria Magdalena de la Cruz García. I, <laughs> I have an awesome pico de gallo de salsa. I think you guys would love it. Yeah. Hang up. And I was parked in the city center the next day in my little car, a little beater car. And I got a call and this guy says, hey, is this Maggie? I said, yeah. So this is Eric with Whole Foods. And I'm going. And he says, we heard about you. We want to know more. When can you come? And I said, well, when do you guys meet? He says, tomorrow at 9 a.m. The drive from West Virginia to Maryland is about seven or eight hours, depending on what you're driving. So I said, I'll be there. So I literally went back to the kitchen, made salsa, drove all night, made it just in time. And I remember walking to that distribution. This is the Mid-Atlantic Distribution Center for Whole Foods. Wow. And I had a little skirt, little heels. My boxes is also with chips on top. And I go into this room and there was mostly men, which was very intimidating to me. Sure. And I remember I laid the, um, the salsa boxes and I opened them and I opened the products and they started to try the products. And they were, they were silent. They were, they were all buyers. So they were just talking about th themselves. And then Eric gets up. And he says, oh, my God, uh, we love your products. When can we have them? And I said, and I'm going. Yeah, you're like, well, I, I did just last night make this. And then I put them in the, <laughs> the, the jars. And then I did cut out the labels. And I did put those on. So like, that's what it was. You know, you can have what I have. Yeah. 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 No, they, they, they said, well, your first order is going to be 10,000 pounds of salsa. And I didn't even know what 10,000 was. <laughs> and I, 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 I was making pounds. about 250 pounds of salsa a week. By yourself. By myself By and yourself. selling it to friends. And and that's in, that, that, that was a weekly ask, 10,000 pounds. So when we, and by the way, there were so many other challenges. I didn't have money. My banks will loan me money. Yeah. I had nothing to show for. So I had to be very creative as to how to get that to be able to buy the cost of goods. And I remember back then the cost of goods for everything, containers, labels, product, even distribution was um, close to $20,000. A week. Well, 
just to get started. Just to get started. Okay, got it. So I um, I went to friends because the banks won't loan me money, and I said I need twenty thousand for cost of goods. Will you lend me? And they're like, Well, how are you going to pay us back? Same thing the bank said, and I said. Okay, let me call Whole Foods. And I called and I said, hey, can you put something in writing? Because uh, I need to show that you'll pay me in a week so that I can borrow the money. And they're like, oh yeah, it's called a contract. And I was like, okay. So, sure. <laughs> so we signed the contract. This is just learning as you go. Yeah, yeah. And I signed the contract. You're like, you guys don't put this kind of stuff in writing, do you? You're just kind of, it's just, <laughs> we're shaking hands, you know? So I came back with a piece of paper and they let me borrow 20 grand. And the, when the week was up and I had delivered the product, uh, they paid me $40,000. So I returned the 20000 never had to borrow it again. There you go. In and week two, just, you're ready to roll. Right. It just started multiplying. Man, and that year, amazing. we went from making uh, $12,000 to $1.9 million in just Whole Foods. That is and, and the thing that happened that's interesting is, you know, you have to be perseverant for something that you truly love and are passionate about. Because when you pass break past that, um, that stopping point, all the supermarkets that said no now wanted my products because yeah. where I was in Whole Foods, okay. That's a credibility signal. Right. Yeah. Credibility, exactly. Man, that's amazing. And that changed everything. Yeah. I mean, that's a <clears throat> catalytic moment for sure. So, I mean, you're you're basically at, you know, uh, 100% margin, right? You're like, it's, you know, you're at... Um, if you spend 20, you can make 40 on it. So in 1.9, right, you've got half that in profit, mm -hmm. right? That you can go do stuff with. So what'd you do, right, in that first year? How'd you start building the team? How'd you sort of inch your way into not having to do everything yourself? So the first order was just me and a friend. And believe me, our arms hurt from cutting, was it uh, 60,000 tomatoes? 60,000 tomatoes. And I, I, we decided, I can't do this. Yeah. I have to get help. So I went to the SBA, the Small, Small Business Administration, and I said, hey, I need to hire 20 people because I was doing the calculations. And they're like, we can't help you, but the state can. They gave me a number. I called the state and they said, no problem, we'll have 20 people tomorrow for you. And I was like, really? Okay. And they supplied 20 people. I remember I rented this room and I put all the, mostly guys in there. And I, was, and I came in, the first thing that I said, was, hey guys, my name is Maggie. You know, I have this awesome pico de gallo that sells Whole Foods ones that, do you know who Whole Foods is? And I said, and I believe that I believe that I believe that we're gonna become the largest salsa company in the United States and you guys are gonna help me take it there. And they were like, yeah, you know, they're so excited and I have no idea. You know, <laughs> I have no idea what's gonna happen in the future, but I'm just so optimistic because I know that it's different. And um, I'll tell you a story. When, when we started production, every single day, was constantly improving and changing the production process because we were growing. Mm -hmm. So even the layout, even the way we did things, and every day till I sold the company, we would meet for lunch and we would discuss how we could improve production. Wow. And I would buy him food. And at, at, back then we would sit outside in the rocks. And when I finished one uh, lunch day, everybody went in and this guy stayed back. He's an African-American guy and I said, hey, What's going on? And he said, I just wanted to tell you, thank you so much for hiring me. Nobody else would hire me. I went to prison and I did this, this and that. And I was like, la, 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 la. <laughs> I don't want to know anything. I said, listen, you're awesome. Let's just go back to work. Just glad you're here. Yes. Yeah. And I was shaken. And I went outside and I called the state and I said, hey, you gave me a person from prison. And they're like, oh yeah, they're all from prison. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they all need but jobs. They're, but they're the, wor they're the best people I've ever had, but why? Yeah. And this is something that everybody needs to talk about is, I married them, I brought them to my greater why in that meeting. Mm -hmm. So everybody was in it. And I think it's, you know, they were becoming part of something greater. Yeah. That I didn't realize I was building back mm -hmm. then. And they were the best people I've ever had. They were on board. Right. So that's, that's, the, that's the difference between running a company without having a clear why and a purpose and everybody really being infused with that because they're all believing that they're part of becoming part of something bigger. Yeah. <clears throat> something that uh, I, I've always been really curious about is, you know, you made a discovery of your why. <clears throat> you have a, a pretty enormous work ethic. Yes. 60,000 tomatoes. 
Okay, so that proof right there. Uh, you have an enormous work ethic. <clears throat> you have a drive, right? Um, that's really there. That's powered by, mm-hmm. powered by something. Um, what what was what were were some of the things that uh, what where does that come from with you? Yes. Why do you have that? So the biggest thing for me was my father, my care, our caregiver. He told me that I would never amount to anything, exactly his words, that I would die in prison and with AIDS mm. because I came out to him as gay. Mm. And one of the things that I wanted to do was prove him wrong. So my why was based on proving him wrong, which was mm-hmm. based on fear. Mm-hmm. And I will tell anybody that I speak to today that when you run a business or anything that you want in life based on fear, you only get success up to some point because it's a block. And it wasn't until he passed, and a week before he passed, he wrote me a letter. Oh, he did. What did he say in the letter? You want me to read it to you? Sure, yeah, let's read (laughs) it. Get that. So here we go. This was written in 2009. It's an email. He says, Maggie, I'm so proud of you. You won't know what I mean, but you're from the old school, the old generation, maybe 50 years back. The generation that had the work ethic, discipline, and most of all, the dreaming willingness to labor and to make uh, that dream a reality. You are so caught up in what you are doing at this moment that you can't fathom when you'll be in five, in 15, and in 25. Because of your willingness, it's going to be big. And then he says, I hope you one day have children to carry on your Mm -hmm. tradition. Uh, and then he says, America needs more people like you and your values pass if it is to survive. You're one big asset to everyone in your life. Mm. Sweetheart, I'm really proud of you. That's amazing. And the thing is, he really never recognized my success ever mm. until a week before he passed. And the biggest thing for me, and it was a, a, a huge wake up call was, you know, I don't have anybody to prove wrong. What's my why now? And I realized that salsa was just a stepping stone to something bigger. Mm. And that's when everything else started manifesting and it went from being here to having the cell to really changing everything. And that was my rediscovery mm-hmm. of my why. And I think as entrepreneurs, we have that. We have to have it in many different points in our in our building our businesses because things change, like COVID happens, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. many different things. And if you're not able to pivot and adapt, you can die as a company. So it's so important to to constantly rediscover yourself, what you do, your teams, what mm-hmm. your why is, you know, revisit it to see what, you know, how you can change it to become better than, than what you, and to serve that greater purpose. Yeah. Because, you know, really serving, you're, you're really serving the the community, the people that you sell your products and services to. Mm-hmm. It's giving back. There's a greater purpose in that in that specific area that you're passionate about. That is your big um, your big thing. That's why you were meant to be here to yeah. do in this time and space. <clears throat> so one of the things that's really uh, beautiful about there's a lot of beautiful things about this letter, but one of them is uh, you know. I think when, yeah, I've learned a lot about neglect because there are people that are like, hey, my parents were great or, but I just, I felt more managed than I did related to. Um, I One of the things that I've learned about neglect is that it's probably one of the most uh, difficult to recover from mm-hmm. as an adult. Yes. Um, and it's 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 kind of like a, a silent, uh, or a, a, a sort of a quiet inhibitor because mm-hmm. it's hard to recognize that yes. that neglect was there. So one of the things that I think is really powerful about about you, right, and about this letter is you experienced pretty significant neglect, mm-hmm. right, where you had th- there was no attention, right, and if and it seems like any attention you got was negative attention, right. So you experienced all this neglect, right, growing up, <clears throat> and something in you. Right uh, was a, was a motivator. I'm going to be great at basketball. I'm going to be great at all of these things. And there was a, a driver in there, right? And yes. then and then one of the things that I think is really powerful is the skills we learn along the way 
even if we're doing like even if you're like i'm going to prove something and it maybe it wasn't the most righteous of motivations mm -hmm. you learn these skills yes along the way mm -hmm. and you're recovering and you're understanding uh, you know things like maybe parenting yourself mm -hmm. when you were neglected and stuff like mm -hmm. that but for him somebody who then rejected you mm -hmm for him to acknowledge the work ethic, mm -hmm. to really recognize the skill that you had developed, yes. right? As a yes. as a response to your condition and your circumstances. Yes. That has to be super powerful. And for him to acknowledge your success in the way that he knew how. It is, and it really surprised me because I'd never got anything like this from him, ever. 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 And one of the things that I will tell you is that he had passed and then my mother came to visit and she came to visit the plant. And I, she was in my office. I, we got a knock on the door. It was one of my team members, Lonnie. And he says, Maggie, can I interrupt? And I said, sure, come in. He says, I just wanted to let you know that somebody threw beer bottles outside of the door in the brick building. And I picked them up for you, okay? He was patting me. And I said, thank you so much, Lonnie. And I gave him a hug. He leaves. And my mom says, wow, they really care about you. Mm. And I said, mom, that's really a family. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that you know, for me, it, the biggest thing is hope for something better. Mm. Uh, if not this, then something better. And I think not having that sense of culture, how I was growing up, mm -hmm. I really wanted to have that. And that's I believe that's one of the reasons we built such a great culture. Mm -hmm. Because we were family. You know, people cared about family, environment. Mm -hmm. Money was the last thing. I could barely pay them mm -hmm. minimum wage. Mm -hmm. but, but they were so involved because there was that care. I did crazy things to make sure they were okay, everybody. Mm -hmm. And they, they sort of became like my kids, you know? Yeah. Uh, and you take care of them. And that's something I think that was birthed out of that. And I will tell you that the more adversity that you have, the greater chances of, of, of success that you can have, mm -hmm. if you see it that way. If you see it that way. That's a big deal. Because I can see suffering and I could continue to suffer but I could see suffering and say, I want something better and then build that better future and then help everybody along the way that comes with me. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> I think adversity um, can have a magnifying glass in front of it and it looks so big and so scary and that it it's almost like this idea that it overwhelms uh, overwhelms you. And that, I mean, that's what trauma is, right? It's this overwhelming thing. Yes. And so adversity has can have an advantage over you yes if you let it right Absolutely. and sometimes what i think is important is to have people around you yes uh that can help pull the magnifying glass away mm -hmm. and help you see what's possible instead of what's happening yes you know yes and i, I think one of the things that has been really awesome is and I, I have the privilege of hearing other stories and stuff like that from you and i had in previous conversations and whatnot but you took you you told me that story before um, and, and I've heard a lot of these, but I, I think one of the things that I think is re was really powerful about your culture, and we'll get back to like startup and scale up and all that kind of stuff, but what was really powerful about your culture was you have an ability to foster connection with people. Yes. And I, 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 I don't know if, if that is uh, a skill, I don't know what, if that's a superpower, I don't know what that is, but like, what are some of the things that go through your mind when you're when you're encountering a person? What are some of the things that you think like I, I what are the the ideas that go into your head about how you can really connect to that person? Mm -hmm. And how can the how can you main, maintain connection as a group? Like mm -hmm. having lunch is one thing, but yes. like what are the things that were kind of that kind of go through your head as you're building teams? To me, and it comes back to one of my values is to treat others like uh, like myself. And it's one of the things that really baffled my team because they were like, oh my gosh, you're down here cutting tomatoes with me. I've never had a boss do that with me. Um, you know, in different things. And I think that a big thing that, that they're talking about now is EQ, emotional intelligence, mm -hmm. is the ability to put yourself in other, somebody else's shoes, mm -hmm. personally, socially, and all the components of like really growing a company, a culture. Uh, when you do that, when you care so much about people, they care for you mm -hmm. and they take care of every aspect of you. Mm -hmm. your business everything um you know i had a team member that i had no idea he walked five miles every day to get to work and one day he didn't show up and i was asking everybody what happened to him and nobody could tell me 
So I got his address from his higher papers and I went to his little apartment and he came out and he was very swollen. He was like, I'm so sorry I couldn't come. And it was snowing back then. And I said, he told me he had a tooth infection. And back then I offered insurance just halfway. They had to pay the other half. So other so people couldn't afford it really, you know, to pay for insurance. Yeah, yeah. So I said, let me, let me see if I can find something. So I called my sister Maria in Mexico and she's a doctor, but also a holistic doctor. And I said, hey, Maria, um, I have a sick uh, team member here. He's got a molar infection. What can you suggest? I don't have, they don't, he doesn't have insurance. We can't go to the hospital. He says two things, go out and buy peroxide and buy a bottle of tequila. <laughs> so I showed up with peroxide and tequila. <laughs> that story he told everybody. And so it grows from that. But he came in the next day, he was not swollen anymore. Yeah. So those type of things that, you know, caring is, it has different dimensions. When you truly, truly care about someone like mm -hmm. they are you, like if I had that, mm -hmm. I could put myself in pain for him. I could yeah. see myself. When you truly care, they will care for you. Yeah. And the stories just spread out and and it's just unbelievable yeah. uh, what happens, what culturally in that community with all those people. And now we had a reward system. If you could come up with something that would save us money, you would make money, right? Now everybody was always looking for what could they improve in production? So it was automatic. I wasn't even involved. And mm -hmm. the only thing that I was involved in was, you know, okay, bring your ideas. We'll see which ones work the best and we'll try them. And if it's a winner, wonderful. And, the, you know, we would do the sharing of the profits with that, mm -hmm. with all my team members. I was not afraid of doing that because I knew that by doing that, they would take care of the, the business. The, the thing is, they're in front, they're there 100% of the time. They know what needs to change, what needs to improve. I'm, I don't know everything, especially when you start growing a big company. Yeah, you can't see it all. Right, so yeah. that was huge. That's amazing. I, I, I it's The thing that is uh, su surprising, right, is year one for you is not a typical year one. Uh, you're building a team and building a culture, right? <clears throat> and you're doing it from, uh, I'm gonna say from not necessarily from a place of experience or skill, but just of what you what you understand about yourself and the what you're treating them in a way that you would want to be treated yes. the way you treat yourself. So what I'm what I'm hearing is year one was kind of two million dollars in sales. Uh, you had twenty ish employees, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And you've got all that you, you've got pretty consistent orders coming in from Whole Foods. Yes. So. What, what was sort of the evolution after that, right? Give us kind of the next sort of scale up runway, right? Because that's a pretty good startup year. Yes. And so talk to us a little bit about how you started to, to scale up from 20-ish mm -hmm. employees to having a plant. So the, the big thing that happened was the supermarkets that noticed me that they said no at the beginning started to ask if I could come in and meet with the buyers. And we ended up going into Kroger's, Harris Teeter, uh, Publix, uh, so many supermarkets out there. And then um, everything that I do in my business has to do with visualization. Um, and because I understand there's a great power of attraction because I've lived it. And I remember I made this list of, uh, of, of things and, and one of them was, you know, the largest supermarket in the United States is gonna call me. And I didn't say which one. Mm -hmm. And and I, and I wrote, you know, I'm gonna meet with a buyer, I'm gonna shake his hand and I could feel his hand. I'm gonna open the products. I can smell them in the distribution center. You totally have read Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. Never have. Never? You, you gotta, you gotta that send book. me that. I will send you that. Awesome. This is exactly the, this really? is exactly the stuff. This is so wow. good. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. And so um, science says that it takes now up to 15 days Back then, I, I was reading 20, 20, 30 days for something to, to become believable because mm. when you put something in your subconscious mind, at first you don't believe it, but you keep repeating that and meditating yeah. upon yeah. it, it becomes a reality. I was sitting in my office in my little house and my business partner was in the uh, living room and I get a call and, and this lady says, hey, my name is Dee. We're looking for a salsa company that can come and sell our products and them to our stores. Uh, we were looking at 10 different companies when we thought yours the best. You want to sell to Walmart. And I was like, mute. 
please hold (laughs) (laughs) please hold and i told my business partner i said hey walmart just called and they want our products she said it's a prank hang up (laughs) hang up and i'm like wait a minute well i did answer and i said is this a prank i did ask you seriously i did that's all and she's like no this is real this is and i and i just had a pause and i had to say wait a minute i've been meditating about this and it's here why am I not believing this? Oh, wow. A month later, I was in Bentonville, shaking the hand yeah. of the buyer. This time you knew to get a contract. This time I- Okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Lessons learned. But exactly as I put on that list, and I believe it's in my book, that list uh-huh. happened. And pretty soon we were distributing products all across the United States with Walmart. And that was really the next step of the evolution. and. That was the time when we really started producing 24 hours a day in, in my company. I bought a little bed in my office that folded it up into a little chair uh-huh. and I would sleep there in case they had a, an issue, they could knock on the door. And you know, we had truckers coming from Mexico with tomatoes, California. So I had to be there uh, and it was just 24 hours that period of time. All right, so from year one to that moment, what? how many years you've been in business at that point? So I started in 2004, 2007 was the Whole Foods. Because when I started that, um, I was, you know, I finally got a job and I was working at a job, but I was making salsa at night, mm-hmm. driving an hour away and coming back. So it took a little bit before I decided to have the guts to call, to make this list mm-hmm. and call. Mm-hmm. So 2007, I can't remember what year exactly was Walmart, but at the time where I was before Walmart, my business had hit a plateau and I was looking for something bigger, better. And this shows up. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, when I went to Bentonville, the buyer was telling me, do you see all those people in that line? That's all the people are trying to get in. And that means that there's a lot of more people coming out. The thing that amazed me was that I didn't call one. They called me. Yeah, this is number four, by the way. I have, I've been counting the number of phone calls. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to, these yes. guys are counting, I'm counting yes. the number of phone calls. <clears throat> that's amazing. And so that that's how that happened. And that was really the next level of everything. That's really powerful. Okay, so that's, uh, that's a few years in, right, uh, that that happens and you'd hit a plateau. So then, then that creates a whole different level of scale. So what did you have to do to sort of meet those expectations of Walmart? Planning. Yeah. Um, we had these huge refrigeration, um, uh, they use them for refrigeration because we ended up going into an old supermarket because I was asking to manifest the supermarket and I could, and I was passing it every day. Mm-hmm. And it was an old supermarket that didn't have supermarket in, inside anymore. And you know how they have in the back these big, big coolers? Those were our production areas. Wow. They were huge. Yeah. And outside the, these walls, I had these huge calendars and that's how I was planning everything. How much cost of goods do we need? What needs to go out? What time it goes out? Make sure it gets there in time because it's a fresh product. It's not mm-hmm. going to go bad. Mm-hmm. All these logistics had to be carefully thought out uh, to be able to continue to supply because keep in mind, we were not only just supplying Walmart, we were supplying other supermarkets as oh, well yeah. in 38 states. Mm-hmm. And where this is all from where? From uh, St. Albans, West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. Yes. Okay, so you're still in West Virginia. Yes. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you still in West Virginia? No. <laughs> no? You're like, no. no. Not anymore. No. Well, that's good. Well, <clears throat> so uh, all of this keeps going, but there's a big moment and it's an acquisition moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about all of the, the planning and having to scale up and taking all these orders. And there's probably a lot of lessons that you've learned about what it means for distribution and all of that kind of stuff. like. Uh, how to, you know, obviously getting sales and things like that, team, team members that are helping you do things that you don't know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, what are, we'll get to the acquisition. What are kind of like three lessons that you learned that are sort of practical mm-hmm. business things as it relates to maybe distribution, uh, production, and sort of sales? The distribution part of it, I decided to do it myself. And because when I ran all the numbers, it turned out that I would be making less. So I got my own fleet of trucks and I initially started driving them myself. I got my truck driver's license. <laughs> so, um, you would, <laughs> you would, that's so, awesome. Oh, and by the way, that story is amazing. The I could just see you in a truck. <laughs> I couldn't reach the pedals. So I, 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 I was saying, I, yeah. mean, I could see you in a truck. So, um, 
I did it. I, you know, I, I looked at the route for um, specialty foods distributors and all that, and my margin was going to come be cut a lot. So I did all that until I started hiring guys who were class A drivers, mm -hmm. and, and then that that you know really helped with the taking it to the next level. Mm -hmm. As far as production, I had the banks now calling me because they wanted to loan me money, and I was yeah. like, I, I don't need you don't anymore. anymore. I needed you back right. then. <laughs> but I still, you know, got money because it's good to have a cash flow. Yeah, and um, it was more about growing with manufacturing equipment and finding state-of-the-art equipment that, because you, at the beginning, like even the FDA told me that I was not gonna make it because I had a fresh product that lasted 10 days. So then I discovered technology like MAP, Modified Atmosphere Package, you, you insert um, oxygen and it pulls out all the oxygen on tomatoes. It, it reduces the residual oxygen uh, in the tomato, makes them, um, go bad less you know yeah uh, slower and so, yeah. right and then i found hpp hydrostatic high pressure processing and that's where you submit uh, products to below sea levels with this million dollar machine you can basically take avocado and mash it put it into a packet with nothing it lasts 60 days or more so wow. the the evolve evolution of that was another thing mm -hmm. and then just the team we had such a great team um Everybody that came in, and initially I had an issue with uh, retaining employees, but then it, it came down to my values. Mm -hmm. And I wrote them down, and I would hire based on values. Mm -hmm. When I hired based on values, everything changed mm -hmm. because they were together with me. Um, this is so important because it's so easy for to have like a bad apple in your company, and it it, it starts, you know, the, the negative attitude, you know, uh, Pudriendo, it starts uh, decaying. Yeah, it permeates. <laughs> right. Yeah, it does. So uh, those are some of the things that that were really key in the growth of the company. And the, I think the biggest one for me was when I was starting out was I wanted to do everything because I thought I could do it best. Yeah. And then you learned different. Yes. Yeah. Hire the people that play at what they do and they're experts at what they do that you don't necessarily are an expert or like to do. Mm -hmm. uh, even if it costs a little more money, it pays off in the end. And be able to delegate, automate, and eliminate the things that, as a, as a person, as a CEO, to be able to grow the company, to be able to kind of step back and see the whole picture. Because when you're in there, you get lost in doing all those things. Oh yeah. And that's one of the reasons that a company could fail. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between working in the business versus right. working on the business, right. right? And some of these discoveries with what you just talked about with the scientific discoveries and going by a million dollar machine so you could have <clears throat> more time, right, right. To, to distribute and more time on the shelf. Yes. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's incredible. I, I, the, the, um, I think one of the things that uh, is, really, is really powerful is you are self-taught. So you've got lessons that you learned along the way. There's you, you obviously got really good instincts, but there's lessons that you've learned along the way. And what was maybe a uh, uh, what was maybe a painful lesson where you're like you realize what what was a bad apple story, right? You got somebody that was doing something that was sort of degrading the value of the culture, and what drove you to sort of write those values down? Well, what's a story that you learned? Uh, <laughs> I have many. You can change the names. <laughs> I, I have many stories, um, and I came back from surviving the orphanage. I had a guy that came up to me and was going to attack me. And there is an old filing cabinet right here, and, and the team was around. And it's one of those filing cabinets that is really, really old, and it's really hard. You know those old metal. Oh yeah. And I just went ah, and I punched that thing and put a dent in it, and he stopped. That was my reaction to stopping something because out of survival, how I grew up. Yeah. And you acted crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and you know, and, and so he went like this and everything stopped. And I actually did something that I do with my horses <laughs> growing up in Mexico. So I gave him my back right behind me. Like, I'm not afraid of you. There's the door. And I told somebody, call the police, leave. But he was this close to me. I knew he was not going to do anything to me after yeah. what happened. Yeah, yeah. And when that happened, I he left, and I had to tell my team, "Listen, I'm not like that. I'm <laughs> like, not, I'm not really to, that crazy." But I had to do something. Just skills. Yeah. yeah. No, I had to do something to. Uh, sometimes you, um, 
you need to do something that completely is unexpected to stop something bad ha from happening. Mm -hmm. And that was my moment. And I, I, I was like, oh my God, like the orphanage maggot came out. Like, I don't want this to happen again. So yeah. what can I do? And that's when I really started looking at, okay, who are we going to have here working for us? What kind of people, what kind of values? And the beautiful thing is, you, you know, if you have people with great attitude and, and energy, if they don't know how to do certain things and they're coachable, you know, that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people ask me, you know, as a minority and Latina and LGBTQ, how did, you know, how did you do it? What was your struggles? And one of the things that, the thing that I've always said is, I never really saw myself any less than anybody else. Mm -hmm. If people treated me differently, it's because I thought that they, that's how they treat everybody else. So I never hired people because they were minorities. I had a lot of minorities, but I hired uh, people uh, I attracted minorities because I was a minority mm -hmm. in the leadership position, uh, but never saw myself as any less. And I think that really helped me because the moment that you think that you're any less, you become that less. Yeah. And that's actually an imped impediment for growth in your business and your company. It's true. And I think um, one of the things that is uh, something that I've, I've learned, right, about leaders, right, or even entrepreneurs is, uh, Typically, how you grow, your business grows. It's a reflection. Of it really, leadership. it really is. Yes. And it's like if your team isn't flourishing, if your business isn't flourishing, you you have to take a pretty hard look. My gosh, at what's yes. going on with you? You're right on point. You know, I get asked to speak to these large corporations, and they tell me, "Maggie, come speak to our team." And I said, "Wait a minute. Let me speak to your leadership first, because they're a reflection of leadership." I'm not going to do anything for them if I know that the leadership is broken. Mm -hmm. And not coachable. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yes. that I mean that that's good. So I'm sure that you've uh had had some in, uh, interesting run-ins with people saying, "So you're not going to come. We're going to pay you all this money, but you're not going to come." You're like, "No. No, I'm not coming." Cuz number one, I don't have to. And number two, it wouldn't help. Right? Exactly. And the, and the point is to be able to help people with what you do. Yeah. And if you if you know that it's not going to work, then why even do it in the first place? Yeah. I don't care how much money you pay me. Yeah. One of the things that is awesome is, uh, you know, um, and, and I, I share this philosophy, like you hire based on your values. And and so you screen people based on your values. And then if you've got the same thing for your, a mission, a documented mission, you can really screen opportunities. Uh, based on your mission, so you people with values and you know uh, opportunities with with a mission. Did you ever sort of write that down or make it plain for people or make it plain for yourself? I did, and actually, we I wrote the values and I had to print them, you know, in big boards, and they were all over the production area. And when I did that, aside from my hire questionnaire, went from a couple pages to a booklet. And people would initially complain that I've never had to. And the, and the thing that I did is I learned that I could ask the values, questions about the values, but I would re-ask them in a different way. Yeah. And I found that the people that were not invested in, you know, they wanted you to hear. What you wanted to hear. At first, answered everything correctly, but then later. And, and that simple thing, our turnover was almost zero. And even the people that I work with, accountants and Attorneys, they were baffled by the lowest turnover mm -hmm. and the procedures and the steps that, because every day was a learning thing. Every day, you know, maybe you know once a week or twice a week, one another sheet of paper was added into that manual, and everybody signed it, and everybody knew this thing happened. It's not going to happen again, you know. And so we kind of reviewed everything, and every was everybody was on the same page. Mm -hmm. We were learning together. That's amazing. What? <clears throat> There's this thought that I have every once in a while, and this is a vulnerable moment. This is a thought I have when I'm talking to you. Okay. Is I have this first thought, and I was, I was like, there's in no way that this, all of this actually happened, right? And then the next thought is I'm like, it has to have happened. I mean, it's unbelie it's unbelievable. So I, I have, I find myself here with you where it's like, how, how like, what is, what is your secret? How is, how, what is the thing that's like, um, uh, how un unbelievable is so common to you? I think that the the biggest thing that that I can tell you is it all, it all comes down to my why, why I do what I do. 
and bringing everybody together with that. If I am 100% sure, and for me, the thing for my why was to come out of suffering, to become something big, better than myself, something bigger, and be able to make a difference. I always had this thing when I was growing up in the orphanage, like, I'm suffering. And I would look at the skies and I would like pray to God and say, I'm going to become something really huge and big and I'm going to inspire people and I'm going to inspire the kids in the orphanage. And so that was my motive. Mm -hmm. And so when you are so laser shot focused on that why, that goal, nothing is impossible. Resiliency, the fire that you have for doing the things that you do, the passion where there seems to be no way, there's always a way. And, and it might not be right in front of you in the beginning, but it shows up. And the, the key here is you have to be uh, mindful to recognize when it shows up so you can take massive action immediately to make it happen. Mm. Because we miss our angels. We miss our opportunities mm -hmm. sometimes. Got to pay attention. Yeah. Right. And I think you got you got you have to have uh, maybe a, a clear mind and maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, be clear inside to be able to recognize those opportunities, Absolutely. right? Because they're whispering to us, yes. right? And we got to pay attention. Yes. It's like, you know, when I had a vision board and I, went, I had this really nice convertible car on my vision board that I now call the action board because you have to act in order. Mm -hmm. And when I put it up, I realized that I started noticing all the cars out there that were just like it that I didn't notice before. Mm -hmm. Why? Because I was super focused. When you focus and then it appears, then you act. But see, the, all the opportunities start to come in. You won't recognize them if you don't have that laser sharp focus on yeah. the end result. Yeah, if you can't envision it. Yeah, that's right. really good. Well, all right, so uh, uh, probably one of the biggest moments, right, is you take this company from startup to scale up to a point of acquisition. So who who is the company that came, you know, uh, the this? I guarantee you there's another phone call coming, but we, I'm just saying. Who, who, how did that happen? How did sort of the acquisition uh, conversation start? And tell us a little bit about uh, what, what transpired. I went into a, a food trade show and I looked up every company that was going to be there. And I've been eyeing another fresh salsa company that was out there, Garden Fresh. And I made sure I got a booth right next to them. Mm. And I had no idea what was going to happen. I ended up meeting the owners and we automatically hit it off and that started the relationship. I didn't know what was gonna happen, but several years later, um, they offered to purchase the company and then they ended up going to sell the Campbell Soup together with my company. Wow. For 231 million. Unbelievable. Yes. 231 million to Campbell's. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. So how long did the relationship between you and Garden Fresh, how, how long were you guys connected? Oh, we were connect, connected for several years. Mm -hmm. uh, when my company sold, I moved all production up to Michigan from West Virginia. And I think I stayed for about a year and a half, maybe two years, to just make sure to carry on the manufacturing processes and making sure that all the supermarkets still got the products. Yeah, yeah, okay, wow. Well, post-acquisition, right? So you, st you stuck around for a couple of years. What, what sort of happened after that and how did you get to today? So. When I sold the company, um, it was probably like a year. I got a call from Mexico. <laughs> I, I said, I mean, I told you. No, this is a different call. Okay, got it. <laughs> Understood. Um, and it was my brother. He was um, working at the orphanage. He was leading the orphanage. And he said that a group of people, uh, he specifically, I don't know where he got the number, 50 people were coming and they were taking the children related to the cartel and human mm. trafficking. I took the flight from Michigan to Mexico and it was the quickest flight I've ever taken, quick. I arrived there uh, in both the federales, the uh, military and set up camp. And it was a whole thing where we had guns and everything and we were protecting these kids. And that's to me um, started a new thing for me because I always wanted to go back and, and saved the kids and I couldn't. I had these nightmares growing up. Mm. And it's like that Paulo Coelho story, the alchemist, that mm -hmm. you, we all have this thing that with the circle that we go back to. And I came back to that place. And because of that, um, I started a foundation, Matthew 25, 33. 
and we help other orphanages and kids that are involved in uh, human sex trafficking and mm. uh, right around that time is i was speaking for many many years i was asked to speak in many corporations and i didn't realize that you could get paid to do it well why not get paid and raise funds and be able to do more yeah do more and so that's where that that whole is speaking and foundation and helping kids and young adults in mexico started the that's, journey that's power, powerful what uh wh like what are you doing today like what are some of the things that you're doing today to still help so i have the foundation mm -hmm. and we the thing with with me growing up in the orphanage was that <clears throat> we had donors from the united states from churches and most of the time the the goods that came down even money we never saw it, they were delegated somewhere else so that's why we suffered that's why we didn't have food for two weeks or three mm. weeks and I had to become a hunter and <laughs> this is my original life that I used to hunt with unbelievable and when I saw that I, I said to myself I'm not gonna just send money I'm gonna go and so with this foundation I'm working with attorneys and everything that we, that we give everything is by volunteer and everything is given and like blankets for these kids you know pillows something that i never had yeah um so that's very exciting for me yeah i i, I had somebody say something to me once um because i think uh a, a lot of a lot of us in you know the western world think oh man if i want to help i can just give money to somebody who knows what they're doing and it's almost like there's this mentality that like I've got a bunch of seed I'm gonna give that you know, to people and yeah. it's like it all kind of blows away mm -hmm. but if you give them bread mm -hmm. right exactly. that's totally different yes and that that's one of the things that I think is is really powerful it's like you know it, it that changed my mindset if I see somebody that's you know struggling on the street I'm like hey let's go I'll go get you a meal if you're hungry exactly it's not hey I'll give you money and yes. you do what you want with it right yes. and, and I think that that's really powerful that you you uh you've discovered the i'm gonna i'm gonna get involved rather than i'm gonna contribute financially yes well i was doing that and i thought that the people that live there because we grew in the same same thing happening so that's when i decided to change everything mm -hmm. and i was going down there and, and buying uh powdered milk rice beans and filling the bodega completely mm because I knew now they had it nobody what you know you can't take it away with money right yeah and so for me that was it, it revolutionized the way that that I know that I can help people that I know that a hundred percent of the things that I'm sending is going to get to the right hands and people are not going to suffer mm. and again I can't take care of the entire world but I can do what, what I can with what I have going on there and that's perfectly enough for me What's an amazing thread is this, uh, is, is your, you know, you've, you've had this practice of revisit, you're discovering and then revisiting your why. And so you took that as uh, being in business and maintaining connection with people and being involved and being in the foxhole with them to transitioning out of, you know, really the, the business or, you know, entrepreneurial world into uh this cause right where you're doing the same thing uh -huh. you're helping people but you're in you're in it with them right. right so what do you think is sort of like i'm gonna say chapter three for you you know what i mean or chapter four what's what's the what's the thing where you're like you know what this is the thing i'm looking at now i'm envisioning this yes. as, as my my future chapter to to revisit my why again so my why right now is to be able to create products and services and speak to inspire people with my with what I've lived with um, right in the middle of COVID um, I got an offer to create a movie from Hollywood uh, film, uh, International Film Festival and they finished the script and that was the next thing mm -hmm. but he, the the man passed with COVID oh no so um, it's and it's held up mm -hmm. how you say mm -hmm. uh, but I'm okay uh, sometimes things are not meant to happen at that time. Mm -hmm. Whether it happens or not, I just believe that it could be very powerful as far as inspirational to help other people. And I'm all in for that. If it happens, amazing. If it doesn't, then I'm going to continue to do what I do, which yeah. I absolutely love. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I have some rapid fire questions for uh -oh. you. These are, <laughs> these are different than last time. Oh, okay. 
these are different than last time. So um, uh, we know about salsa, but are you a, a, a guacamole gal? Hell yeah. Yeah? Okay, well, what's what's the secret to a good guacamole? Two ingredients. Okay. Avocados. You know the uh, Mexican, um, la costeña peppers, like the, they have vinegar, like the vinegar, you know the, the cans of la costeña Mexican? Okay, yeah, like, yeah. Or any kind of pepper that's on like, uh, what do you call it? The vinegars inside of it. Like pickled. Yeah. Yeah. You just pour the juice in there and mix it. Wow. That's it. That's it. Uh, if you want to spice it up, I mean, use shallots or anything else. Yeah. Not even salt, because all the ingredients and the spices and the goodness of that juice gets transferred into the guacamole. No, I'm hungry. <laughs> all right. Well, if someone were to play you in that movie, who would it be? Actually, they talked about Holly Berry. Yeah. But then they were thinking he, she might be a little too old. I mean, no, yeah. no disrespect to Holly yeah, Berry. No disrespect. But uh, maybe she could be my grandma or something. She's a great. <laughs> I think she would do an amazing job. They thought about me being in it, uh -huh. but I'd rather, for the impact, I'd rather have somebody else who's yeah. done it to uh -huh. do something like that. That's good. You well, that that would be classic Maggie Cook to actually give that give acting a shot after <laughs> doing CDL license and uh, you know all of these other things. So if Halle Berry were to come to your house for dinner, what would you make her? Chips and salsa. That's Guacamole. it. Guacamole, yeah. All right, okay, yeah. good. Because you could use it with any, you know, a lot of things. <laughs> so why not? Um, uh, if we were to uh, run into you at any given weekend, where would you be or what would you be doing? I don't know. Because I'm always very wild and trying new things, traveling. and mm. So you never know where you're going to find me. Okay. Uh, What's the wildest place you've been to in the past month? <sighs> wildest place. Cause you I just, use the word wild. Yeah, I'm I just like, I have to know. Yeah, I just took a trip on a motorhome and just went around and didn't know anything about how to take care of it or anything or you know because it's a d different ball game. Oh yeah, and just go by the beach and sleep there and open the door. I mean, unbelievable. And meet people. Yeah, and meet people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, when's the last time you shot some hoops? Oh gosh. Uh years. Really? Yeah. It's been years. Yeah. It's no longer, it's not not your thing anymore. I'll yeah. tell you one thing is, you'll never forget how to make one. <laughs> it's like running a bike. Yeah? Yeah. That's really good. All right, so how do you say entrepreneur in Espanol? Entre, wait, I don't know, that's a question. <laughs> uh, we thought this one would be a good one. I don't know. You don't know? No. Mm, how about small business owner? Um, negocio, empresario. Entrepreneur, empresario. Uh, yeah, okay. Empresario. See, now you got you're gonna switch I me know. into Spanglish. Yeah, we're gonna. <laughs> it's it's coming out. The next three questions you can <laughs> you can answer. All right. So Mexico is beautiful. What's one thing you recommend that someone does uh, or a place to visit that really isn't on the tourist map? There. You know, my husband um, asked me this question, and I sadly had to tell him I don't know because I just grew up in the orphanage my entire life. And All right, where was it? Michoacan okay in the mountains so I didn't have any outlook of the city not even in Mexico mm -hmm. um, I was at a conference for Latina CEO entrepreneurs earlier this year my first conference in Spanish and I had to tell them CEO ladies hundred thousands of them uh, I'm just gonna confess to you that I came from Mexico to here so I'm gonna speak really country Mexican so if I <laughs> screw so if I screw it up Please bear with me. I'm going to speak really country Mexican. And by the way, I did something that I didn't know that I did. I walked up the stage and the first thing that I said, I'm so excited to be with you guys. But I said it in Spanish and I translated one word incorrectly. Okay. I said, estoy muy excitada de estar con ustedes. Excitada, excited. It doesn't translate to the same thing. Excitada means sexually aroused. <laughs> so I was like, I am so sexually aroused to be with you. And everybody's like. I had to Google it because I don't know why they laughed at the end oh of it. Oh my God, Maggie. I know. You know, I have to say, I was, so I, I, I played drums uh, in, in this band and I remember I was in Brazil and I was walking on the stage after we had done sound check and I was doing this and all of the people, I just heard this rumbling and apparently that is like flicking them off. So I'm sitting here on stage <laughs> walking after I just did oh sound check, flicking everybody oh. off. So I, I definitely um, ask these questions when I go to other countries. I'm like, what are the warning things, you yes. know, 
need to have that. So, you know, I, I, I definitely think uh, you probably won't say that word again, I'm sure. No, but I'm going to Colombia and speaking at a big event uh -huh. uh, later uh, next month. And I'm like, what am I going to say? Yeah, What's I'm nervous because the Spanish is different. Oh, man. Yeah. All right. Well, what entrepreneur inspires you and why? Oh, there are many. But I think uh, Steve Jobs mm -hmm. is one of them because he had this vision. And then he brought everybody else together to take the company to the next level. Yeah. And then the self growth, the, the self growth that he did for himself. Yeah. Uh, so much with that story. It's powerful. And you know the thing that really amazes me the most is that a lot of really successful entrepreneurs out there didn't even uh, finish high school or college. Yeah. And it baffles me. But that goes to say, you know, having a really powerful why. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have a college education or all these degrees to get there. You can just, you you can be self-taught like right. Matthew Cook. Absolutely. That's good. All right, well, where are you, where are you headed to next? What are you doing next? Oh, I'm uh, doing a speaking tour. Uh, next is Vermont, uh, Chicago, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, coming back down and then uh, Columbia. Columbia. Man, that's yeah. amazing. Well, I, I just wanna thank you so much for round two. It is so awesome to get to know you and to spend time with you. You can tell I'm super curious just about your life and who you are and and, you. Uh, and all of the amazing things you've done. Thanks for being a part of the Entrepreneur Studio. Thank you so and much. And for, uh, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Yes.